Welcome to RetroTube, the podcast which bridges the North-South divide to look at TV shows from decades past, specifically the 60s, 70s and 80s. This week we're examining what might actually be my favourite children's show of all, and almost certainly the very best game show on kids' TV, and yes, including Nightmare, at me all you like, it's televised escape room, The Adventure Game! The Adventure Game ran for four series on BBC One between 1980 and 1986, with the very final episode almost symbolically delayed by the Challenger shuttle disaster, and featured a diverse range of guests including Professor Heinz Wolf, Johnny Ball, Bonnie Langford, Duncan Goodhue, John Craven, who didn't bring along his news round, Madeline Smith, celebrity astronomer Heather Cooper, Derek Griffiths, and even future erstwhile Indiana Jones sidekick David Yip. Heather, I picked these two episodes especially to appeal to you. Have you had any dealings with the adventure game in the past, and what did you think? I have never had any dealings with the adventure game. Uh, mm-hmm. I have never even heard of it. Gosh. I asked Jo, my sister, if she knew what it was. She also has never heard of it, and she's like really? the same age as you. So wow. I would have presumed that... Where was she? She would have done. I'd, I don't know. She was probably, was watching, she up a chimney she was probably or something? watching children's ITV instead. Probably, yeah. Because we, we were common. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Um, and, uh, yeah. That's all I've got to say right now. <laughs> Did it not appeal? It, it it's not that it didn't appeal. Yeah. Because there were some very appealing moments. <laughs> <laughs> Do they involve trousers? Maybe. <laughs> um. No, the, 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 it was. I, I didn't. I didn't dislike it. Yeah. I was just really baffled by it. There's so much in my notes, and I haven't really made very many notes in comparison yeah. to normal, because I just spent the entire time going, WTFH. <laughs> well, luckily I made five pages of notes, which has to be a record for me, I think. Yeah, I think two things occurred to me. One, they wouldn't make a show like this nowadays. It's so just people working things out in real time. Yes. And without... So later on, this would evolve into Crystal Maze, or it would be something quite similar. And you'd have the you'd have the host, very Crystal Maze. Yeah, you'd have the eccentric host who's saying interesting things while people are working stuff out. But there's nothing like that in this. There's no narrator, so it's just literally watching people quietly work things out. And also, I do think, even though I loved it at the time, it's probably one of those things you had to be there. Yeah, I would I would agree with that to a degree. I mean, fortunately, I watched a, a lot of crap in the eighties. Um, continue to now so uh, I I was fine with it the concept and everything was was great I really liked the aliens I liked it I was just baffled (laughs) by it I just didn't get it it's not that I didn't get it because I got it I got I got the whole concept yeah it was just like that in fact I'm doing a bit of a spoiler alert for for later on I have written I don't know how the hell they're working this out quite a few times. <laughs> no, I kind of felt that. Oh, also, I wrote in regards to episode four, you could have left me in that room for a hundred years and I never would have thought about making my own electromagnet to escape. 
They're 45 minutes each. They're a lot longer than I remembered. They are quite involved. I didn't realise that it was a kids' show. I thought it was like, you know, a Saturday night, six o'clock-ish, total wipeout style time slot kind of I think it was originally on in the mornings. What? This is is not the show for a morning. (laughs) I said BBC One. Actually, I didn't check. It might have been originally on BBC Two. I can't remember. But yes, the moment in the first episode we watched, as they're going through outlining what the contestants had to do to work out how to progress through this what well, is essentially escape room i could feel i could feel my chest tightening a little i'm yes. starting to feel a bit panicky like what <laughs> you have to think of all this at once yes in fact another note from episode four is i don't feel adventurous so much as very anxious the anxiety game <laughs> what's the ping pong ball for if they put the ping pong ball in this tube here and blow it through to the other room this door opens. but it didn't go through no i'll explain that in a minute in the meantime, I'm going to hide the ball down there. So how can they get it? If two of them stand on this mat with all these weights, the clock strikes and the ping pong ball comes to the top. And the third person can catch it. That's right, but only if they get all these weights. But the weights are hidden all over the place and they've got to find them first. This one goes out here. But anyone can go out and get it. No, not me in. If they take a pencil... And push the key from this side. They can retrieve it. See? Why are you putting two pencils in the safe? They've got to find those before they can answer Uncle's question. Two 2B pencils and are not to be discovered later. What's the code of the safe going to be? MC, VC. Military Cross, Victoria Cross. M, C, V, C. Can you pass me the maze? Ah, uh, no, it's fixed down. So they've got to jiggle the whole box? No, no, no. You see this coil here? If they connect it to a battery, they can use these nutcrackers as an iron core and make an electromagnet. They can get the ball through the maze with that. What's that? The charge. £18.54, that's an expensive battery. No, the charge of the light brigade. That's the year it happened, 1854. Ah, so if they set the hands of the clock to 1854... No, 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 the clock's got nothing to do with it. If they stand on here, the clock chimes the hour. And exactly ten seconds after it's chimed, a shutter opens in this tube. And that's the only moment they can blow the ping-pong ball through. And don't forget, they won't have their watches with them. So how can they tell the clock doesn't have a second hand? Easy. A pendulum, one metre long, swings once every second. Ten swings in ten seconds. (laughs) That's right. Yes, I was feeling the same. Where do do I start? (laughs) Like, why on earth? Why? I just... Just, I don't, like, oh, and they, it was, the the thinking involved was so lateral. (laughs) Before we get into the meat of it, do you want to um, describe to us the premise of the show for anyone who hasn't seen it before? (laughs) Well, (laughs) if our opening comments weren't enough. (laughs) There are um, aliens who live, well, they're not aliens to them, they're just the inhabitants of a planet called Arg, and they can wiggle to shapeshift which is important and i'm quite jealous i would love to wiggle to shapeshift it'd be good wouldn't it that would be awesome and they are very nice very polite but also very grumpy and they don't like visitors so i kind of feel very at home <laughs> they're essentially you aren't they yeah and so they try and not have visitors but they they keep on getting these people from earth coming up to to visit and they nick the essential the crystal from their um, engines their spaceship engines they do everything that they can to not 
allow the humans to get the crystals. So it's kind of like the crystal maze, but there is kind of a more actively stopping the people getting crystals object to it as well, which I, I found quite nice. It's more, it has more make-believe. Yes. So it's, it's whereas I think the crystal maze, although there's the future zone and the Aztec zone or whatever else they have, I can't remember, it's been a long time, they're still very much just in a game show and no one is really pretending they're in a zone as such. They're not really in these weird industrial landscapes. It is just a game show, but this one does involve the essential element of make-believe that they've gone to the planet of Arg and then these aliens have set these puzzles to try and slow them down just just for the mischievous fun of it really so each show involves three contestants coming to the planet of Arg yeah two Two celebrities celebrities and a a regular ordinary civilian although often they are somebody with some kind of expertise or they might be a scientist So for me, this was, yeah, like I said in the introduction, watching it again, it occurred to me that this might actually have been my very favourite children's programme. So I'm not including Doctor Who, which is a family programme. That's on in the evenings on a Saturday. That's for all the family to watch. I'm talking about things specifically on children's television. This might have been my very favourite one of all. And I think what makes it different is that it's made by people, I believe, I don't want to put words in their mouth, and obviously different things appeal to different people, but I believe they've made made a game show that children actually wanted to watch rather than thinking what do children like children like they like noise they like color they like other children they like clamor so you get things like checkers plays pop or we are the champions or cracker jack <laughs> which is just lots of children running about all the children in the audience going wow there's lots of gunge and like really picking things up and just breathlessness and answering questions really quickly and everything's really frantic and that was entertaining. I didn't dislike it, although I was a bit overwhelmed by all the children going, wah, because I was never a fan of large groups of children, particularly when you're the same size as them. Same. It's a worry. But I watched, I, I liked Checkers Plays Pop fine and I liked We Are The Champions fine, but the adventure game was one that you actually wanted to play yourself and I'm sure lots of people tried to build their own Vortex game and play that because that was a very playable one and I know my friend Peter in part of his house he could close off the doors to make a certain section pitch black so we'd do the black hole game in there and the Drogna game was very fascinating the different coloured currency with the different shapes to denote the different the different values of each one it has a lot of copyable content in that way and even I think uh, one of the things I remember that really appealed to me and Peter and Peter and I often write together and we still will use this idea of something being safe on the way across but live on the way back and it's almost like something from Jason and the Argonauts like you can cross the ocean in your ship on the way there but it's dangerous on the way back and of yes. course the people the people who the contestants are called Argonauts coincidentally on that thought but I think that's something that's stuck in our imagination this sort of almost mythic idea that you can pass one way and it's safe but after you've done your adventure and you're coming back then suddenly it's live and dangerous so there's lots of things that actually appeal to the imagination in there rather than just way gunge color custard pies whoa quick grab the key right I, I feel like you've got some strong feelings that have not 100% been resolved. Quite life. possibly, yes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have 
strong enough feelings for any children's show. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't too fond of the Rowry ones. I did quite like Finders Keepers. That was a good one. Finders Keepers is all right. Yeah, I I liked Finders Keepers. And Richard Stilgo was one of the contestants on the adventure game as well. So I th- I think that the reason that it's one of my favourites is that just there's so much of it stuck in the imagination where other children's programmes were basically ephemeral. And you watched them, you enjoyed them, he moved on, that was fine. Oh yeah, there's another t- 10 minutes filled with cartoons. But very rarely you'd go away and like, oh, I want to play that. I want to play the Vortex game. Like you say, probably a little easier to uh, recreate in the comfort of one's home than uh, trying to find... 17 gallons of gunge from somewhere. (laughs) Quick bit of background. It was created and written by Patrick Dowling, who uh, he was the director of Vision On and he did Take Heart and Heartbeat. Uh, He did Why Don't You? And he wrote and produced The Amazing Adventures of Morph, which I really rather liked. I like like that. Yeah, Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? So he was responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah. And the music for the first, third and fourth series... This is probably unique that it's a four-series show that had a completely different theme tune for one season only. The second season then went back to use the original one for the final two seasons. But the first season music is a 1972 recording of Julian Bream and John Williams playing Rondo by Ferdinando Carulli. Well, there you go. Which I think was chosen for the name because all the names used in the adventure game are some anagram or variation of the word dragon. Oh, yes. So it's the planet Arg and Drogna and Darong, Gandor, and so the theme musical is called Rondo, which isn't quite, but it's close. It's got two O's, but it it's in that kind of Gronda. Oh, there you go. Or maybe it's coincidence. Maybe they just like the music. Let, let's pretend that it's not coincidence. Yes, let's. So who were the guests in the episode, the first episode that we watched? Well, there was Leslie Judd, mm-hmm. who was apparently on Blue Peter, but before my time, so I didn't know who she was. She was in one of the classic lineups with Peter Purvis and John Noakes. So she's one of the big ones, the big prestige Blue Peter presenters. She was very nice. And there was a, a chap called Robert Malos. I don't know who he was, but I found him extremely irritating. <laughs> and if I was extremely irritated by someone then the only person who could be more irritated by them, I would say, would be Avon from Blake 7. <laughs> and coincidentally, the other person <laughs> just so happened to be Paul Darrow. Yes. Sporting a beard, which I was absolutely not prepared for in any way, shape or form. <laughs> oh, that was a look. Did you have a little flutter? I, I, had, Victorian had, swoon. I had so much of a flutter. I was not <laughs> expecting a flutter. <laughs> I outright swooned. <laughs> That's a look, Paul Darrow. You should have kept that. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I think he probably had it for a part. Probably. Yes, I felt similarly about Robert Malos, and he appears in my notes very often. He's the um, civilian out of the trio. He seems to be some kind of expert. Oh, they often had scientists or engineers so he seems to be a physicist or i couldn't find any trace of him on the internet not surprisingly there's a robert malos who went on to do visual effects and robotics for film and tv so it could be him because he seemed to know his way around an electromagnet he he most certainly did (laughs) 
if the introductory run-through of the puzzles was giving me chest pains, then Robert Malos was also starting to give me chest pains. <laughs> yeah. He is, I, he is what um, one might describe as bossy. No, he wasn't even bossy. He was, he was socially inept to <laughs> a deplorable degree. <laughs> and that's coming from us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. This thing, it's got a little bit of wire. I've got a feeling we're barking up the wrong tree. No, 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 I'm sure we need the weight. I can't... That Otherwise, weight. why would it be there? Yeah, quite. True. Perhaps we should have picked it up on the way in. Yeah, have you got the book far enough under? It's only a bit. Oh, to. No, hang on, it's the wrong way. You've got to push it right over. As right. far as it'll go, we're going to lose this, it's going to bounce. No, don't. No, it's not. Come on, have some faith. I genuinely do not know how he escaped that episode without a black eye. I think just because the other two are so lovely. Yeah, I think so. I did see Avon pop out a few times, though. <laughs> yes. Where, like, for example, when they get across the little tiled floor bit. The Drogna game, yeah. Yeah. And Robert just goes and tries to figure out the the code to open the door himself. He's just there getting on with it. And uh, I wrote... You're very good at this. We'll talk among ourselves. There's Avon. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> so how about the one that wouldn't let us? Nope. Well, so how about nope. a, a red? Hang a on. blue triangle, which yeah. wouldn't, we couldn't try and tread on. No, nope, that's nope. wrong. Cancel. Right. right. Now, we couldn't tread on red. It's not constructive at all, really. Right. That doesn't work. You're very good at this. We'll talk among ourselves. No. Because it was it was so salty and just so <laughs> subtle. I was like, oh. I did get the impression he was beginning to struggle to stay nice. Yes. That he was kind of just laughing off mild irritation or growing irritation. <laughs> yeah, that happened so much. Who is this man? <laughs> it was great. I I loved it. There's definitely a couple of Avon moments that I saw. There's some hand, a couple of hand gestures that were very Avon. But one bit I laughed out loud at, in particular, he, the bit where he finds a meter rule inside. Oh the yeah, I wrote clock. that too. <laughs> and and the, the other contestants come in behind him, and he swings around so quickly, and he's kind of brandishing this meter rule that he's just Avon exactly in that moment. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, like he was properly expecting to fight with it. <laughs> Like he was expected to see Serverland behind him or something. <laughs> Serverland. <laughs> but it was only Robert and he kind but of it wished Robert. it was Serverland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts off with the um, rather evocatively oft-kilted title card, which is possibly one of the most sort of recognisable things about it, where it's a, a board that says Adventure Game on it, but it's an angle and you can see... One of the studio lights, which is flaring in a very nice, picturesque way. And you get the music come in. I like how the Argons, the aliens who uh, in this series are big lizards and they've got huge tails and they're quite big, mm. sort of impressive silky suits. Yeah, they're very yes. friendly, but they have that mischievous side, which I, I found them quite sinister, I think, when I was little. The fact that they were these very cheery and friendly humans, particularly the two main ones, played by Chris Lever, who was Gandor, and Charmian, Gra- Charmian Gradwell, whose name I forgot to write down. They're the two main ones. So they're really friendly and nice, but also behind that, they are lizard people who are trying to <laughs> prevent the humans from 
doing what they want to do. So it has a sort of almost Illuminatus kind of thing. It's the lizard people. I love how you don't overstate any of this. <laughs> well, this is how I felt at the time. Obviously, this doesn't quite Fair come enough. across when you're a, when you're a grown up, but when you're like in 1980, I would have been five, maybe Aww. six by then. Oh. So it's a bit of a worry. It would have been a bit of a worry, to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. And when they change back into, at the end of the episode, when they change back from their human form into their alien form, I found that quite fascinating as well. It's like, wow, that used to be Charming and Gradwell. Like, it's weird seeing them in their alien selves where they're no longer these outgoing, fun, eccentric characters. They just sort of all become generic aliens and they all sort of shamble off. Presumably they're now played by extras in costumes, so it's... It isn't even the same people, probably. I don't know. I like to think it's them. Yeah, I, I assumed it was them at the time, but actually, practically, it probably wasn't, really. They probably had extras in costume. I'm ruining the illusion of this to myself. Yeah, well, can, you, can you stop it? <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> stop being so grown up about this. It's a kid's show. <laughs> yes. And I think this works. I I like this more than Crystal Maze, and I like this more than Nightmare. I think for two reasons. Partly because it has actual performers in it so people who are used to being on tv and i think if it was these days and actually there is a crystal maze which i haven't seen so i can't speak for it but i think if they made nightmare people now are more used to being on camera and they're more used to having twitch streams and tiktok and youtube channels and podcasts and that kind of thing so they're more used to being personalities and they're more used to broadcasting and projecting to an audience and that kind of thing but back in the day they were a bit stiff and a bit dry, particularly Nightmare. A bit. Nightmare used to frustrate me so much <laughs> because me and my pals, Peter again, we dreamed of going off on these sort of role-playing adventures where you could fight tolkien characters. So seeing these kids who got to go on TV to essentially do that sort of thing and then the kid with the bucket on his head with the horns, he'd just stand there with his hands limply by his sides and just go, where am I? And they go, you're in a room. What can I see? What am I? You're in a large grey room with a flight of steps in front of you. There's also a table platform with some object, key objects on. And there's a door on the right-hand wall. Right. I think, put some energy, put some life into it. You're, like, be a part of it. Engage with it. Say, this is me, like, age 12, imagining what I would do. But and I'd, like to, I'd like to hope that I would put a bit of oomph into it. But, I, yeah, I found it so frustrating that these kids never played along. They were just like deer in the headlines. Well, to be fair, even in the age of TikTok and etc., all these poncy kids with the... With the podcasts, girl, weirdos. Podcasts? Who do podcast? even have one of those? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do kids um, have podcasts? I think podcasts are all made by 45-year-olds. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be that for a very long time. No, you've got a way a to very, go. very, 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 very long time. long time. I still feel... And I don't know this because I don't have as much knowledge of television sets as you do. But I do feel the atmosphere and the largeness of a television studio would probably be overwhelming to any kind of a child. True, but even so. In fairness to the Knight Knight Rider? No, wrong (laughs) film. Uh, The Nightmare Contestant. media. You know, in deference to them, these poor six-year-old children... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who were just <laughs> dropped off by the mum up the studio one morning. <laughs> yeah. 
put into this green and, room or a blue room. I made to put a giant bucket with the horns on the head so that they can't see anything. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, I speaking don't know. as a human being, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I understand why there would be a certain degree of woodenness. Yeah. Just, I, I remain unimpressed to this day. Adam Stewart Leslie, it is my job to be a grump. Where that is am my I? role in this. You what are the perennially cheerful one. <laughs> so can you please All right. cut it out? All right. Point B. The stakes are higher in the adventure game. Yes. <laughs> what happens in Crystal Maze? What's the worst that can happen? You get locked in. Big deal. Yeah. Puh. The contestant can die in Nightmare, but you don't see it. There's a little thing in the corner, the skull that, or the head that gradually gets stripped down to a skull and then fades away. But you don't really see anything before the contestant. They just cut away and it's like, oh, he's dead then. Bye-bye. But this one uh, has a uh, vaporizations. Yeah, you see them actually getting vaporized. Yeah, there's, a, there's an actual special effect involved. So the stakes are really high. And... Yeah, they, they actually do. They do evaporate. And it was definitely a feeling as you progressed through the episode, the feeling of excitement and slight nervousness bubbling under as you knew they were getting closer and closer particularly in series two, three and four, when they had the vortex, as you're getting closer to that end moment when there could be evaporations and vaporizations. Yes. It would be growing and it'd be bubbling under and it's like, oh, I'm starting to get starting to get a bit of butterflies now. We're, get, oh. we're getting close. Oh, we're getting, we're getting close. We're getting down to the business end now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happening. Possibly one of the flaws of the construct of the game, although it didn't take away from the enjoyment of it, was that you wanted the contestants to get vaporised because that was... That was the best thing ever when they actually did trigger. So either they stepped into the vortex or in the first series when they stepped on the wrong square and got evaporated. Oh, dear, what a shame. And they nearly made it to. Yes. So all the way through you were rooting for them. It's like, come on, come on, come on. But in the end game, you're right, get them. (laughs) Evacuate <laughs> them all, kill them, destroy, kill, murder. They've got them all, yes. Please don't. No, we can't have this year again so quickly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> God, just stop. Just no. Right. <coughs> okay. <laughs> it's fine. I'm good. I'm back. Um, <laughs> good. <laughs> although, you know. <laughs> it's been it's been a long day. Such a long day. It's been a very eventful day. Hello. Welcome to the adventure game from Arg. We've got the crystal from another tourist spaceship, and if they want it back, the Earth people are going to have to work for it. And we also have another very familiar face in this episode. Yes, we, we do. Moira Stewart. Moira Stewart. Yes, I was I was quite surprised that she was there, to be honest, because, you know, I only know her from the news. And I was like, what's 
Moira well, Stewart doing on the planet of Arg? She didn't really become a famous newsreader until a bit after. I think she ha- was working in journalism and news at the time and was also an alien in the, the adventure game somehow. Yes, yes, she was. She does a very good job, though. She's very good in it. But she it's one of those things that you it. go back and you look at it like decades later and go, hang on, that's Moira Stewart. What is she doing in this? That that was exactly what I, that they were my actual words of thought. But she's very good. She anchors that first series, I think, as being kind of the sensible, almost like the narrator character. She kind of is, and she, although I'm not 100% sure whether or not she is an Argon. Yes, uh, she is. She's, no, she she's, is, isn't she? She's Darong. I remember her wiggling. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <laughs> It was a memorable wiggle, all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she does seem to be slightly more sensible than the other two because when they're putting the challenges together, and I like that you see them putting the challenges together. Yes. Mainly because they do need to be explained because they're they so. It, it would be utterly baffling. <laughs> yes. Um, but she was always like, uh, are you sure you want to do that? Do you not want to do this and make it a little bit easier? I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this, this level of tricky is fine by me. <laughs> and oh my God, so tricky. Honestly, you could, you could have left me in the adventure game for my entire life. <laughs> and I'd still be there. I'd never get off the planet arc ever. No, I wouldn't know. It's knowing where to start and what sequence to do it in. I, that's what I couldn't fathom. And you have to get all of the puzzles right. It's not that you can't get 95% of them right. You have to get all of them right and work them all out. I was struggling to work out how to call you on Zoom. Step this way if you'd like to step oh. this way and, and form yourselves up on here in an orderly fashion well if you'd like to uh, form up there. Oh, well, sorry to keep you. And the other person, the other one of the Argons, is Gandor, played by Chris Lever. In previous episodes, you get a secret Scouser, but now it's my turn. We have a secret Ginger. Yay! I love secret Gingers. And I love obvious (laughs) Gingers. I just love gingers. That make that makes sense. Hmm. Beneath his white William Hartnell wig, he's one of us, one of my team. One of your lot. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this, I think in the sep- second episode of this, I just glimpsed through some of the other episodes. It might have been the pilot episode because it seemed quite different from some of the others. You see him out of costume. Ooh. I'm not quite sure why. So he's just got normal clothes and his regular hair. Hmm. But Chris Lever's very good. And he's one of those people that you would imagine would just crop up in everything and you'd see all over the place. He's very charismatic, he's very eccentric, plays a great character. He's almost completely vanished. Yeah, that was because that, I loved him. I thought he was he was he was my favorite. Well, spoiler alert, he was my favorite character. Yeah, I think he's my favorite character as well. He's the most memorable. I mean, a lot of people remember the Australian who was in the later series as well, but we have only looked at the first two series. So there may be a point in the future where we do three and four. I don't know, but we haven't seen anything from three or four. But certainly, he's the one character who's in all four series, and he is front and center. And yeah, I don't know where he is. He doesn't appear on the internet. He has not really been in much else. His IMDb seems to suggest he was born in 1937, which doesn't seem to fit. He looks like he's in his late 20s, early 30s to me. Where is Chris Lever? Does anyone know? Is he all right? ¿Dónde está? ¿Dónde está? Is he still up on Arg somewhere? He probably is. He's probably walking around in a lizard suit. <laughs> I'm loving this. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it so much, I took it home. So, the first game they come across is the Drogna game. Although I don't think in this first series those coloured shapes are representing the Drogna currency. 
I think that no. from the second series onwards that, that happens. But we'll refer it to the Drogner game, although they just call it a mosaic. Yes. So they have to work out which squares to stand on, depending on the colour and the shape. Some will make an obnoxious <laughs> noise if they stand on, yes. but others are fine. There's nothing better than a good comedy honk, is there? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I imagined back then that the floor really was pressure sensitive, but it probably is just Patrick Dowling off with a squeezy Making dog a noise. toy. Yeah, he's got a squeezy <laughs> dog toy and he's just watching them intently. He's not even using like a, a horn or anything. He's just like in the background shouting. <laughs> <laughs> with his voice. <laughs> yeah, and a, mega, and a megaphone. Yeah, so this is the, the game that you have to do it on the way across and then you have to memorise it for the way back in this first series because then it becomes live. So it doesn't just honk anymore, it will evaporate you. Yikes. That game wasn't quite so... It didn't grab us quite as much as the Vortex game in the later series. And I can see why they replaced it, because there wasn't the same tension. If you knew that the contestants had worked out the route on the way across, then they'd probably be fine on the way back. Yeah. So if they remembered it, it sort of robbed it of the the tension. But for the Vortex game, which we'll come to, there wasn't any real useful strategy you could employ, certainly in the second series. So it was a bit more random. There was still that, oh, is he gonna, are they going to make it kind of thing. It was a lot more exciting once they'd introduced the Vortex game. But there's still just any kind of vaporisation, frankly, is exciting. So Very exciting. <laughs> and that whole area reminded me of the, the Liberator Teleport Bay because of the vertical bars. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the horizontal bars rather going up the sides of the wall. Yeah, me too, me too. I didn't know if it was just because I was like thinking about Blake Seven, but anyway. <laughs> no, I mean maybe maybe it's the same for both of us. Maybe we would just both have little Blake Seven shaped thought bubbles, daydream bubbles above our heads. I certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> I made a rather indignant note here that Robert Malos is bossing Avon around. Yes, I yes. It was awful. We don't do that. You can't keep <sighs> The only person in the world who is allowed to boss Avon about is Blake, and even Blake doesn't get away with it. Mm. So why this chap <laughs> this random that he this rando. has exactly <laughs> Robert Random, <laughs> why he thinks that he's in any position to tell Avon what to do. <laughs> oh, I was not happy. I wrote a note that said, Robert Malos is probably driving Paul Dower up the goddamn wall right now. <laughs> He seems very sweet, doesn't he, Paul Darrow? He does. He, does he seems seem very, very gentle. Yeah. He seems like somebody who's a little bit bewildered by what's going on, but just very happy to be there and very pleasant and nice. He comes across to me as a giggler. Like, literally, he would lose it. He, he would be the me of the band. <laughs> it would take nothing for him to actually die of laughter. I don't know if you've ever seen Gareth Thomas speaking... Like the real Gareth Thomas rather than him as Blake. Break. Him or break. <laughs> <laughs> He'll always be Adam Break to me. <laughs> but he comes across as a very jovial fellow as well. So I can imagine those two just chortling the day away between them whilst playing these you know... <laughs> incredibly grim and serious <laughs> space yeah, mercenaries, but between takes, just being very jovial and a bit tipsy, probably. Yeah, the, se- the second that the director shouted, cut. They will be there hugging and giggling and playing pranks on each other and having a grand old time. And then I the second so. that it was a take, they just grr at each other the whole yeah. time. I have always hated you. 
that kind all of, thing. of the derision i have in my body is now aimed directly at you blake well back at Villa. you with knobs on is basically how their relationship went she says after watching eight episodes <laughs> I'm an expert now. <laughs> I like the gag early on when they're trying to open the first door that they get to and there's a key on a chain by the door, but it's too short to fit the lock and they're trying to work out how to get the key in the lock, but eventually they discover that actually the door's not locked and they can just push it open and Gandalf says, We don't lock the door, so you see the chain's too short for the key to reach the lock. I don't remember. I feel really bad that I've missed that because that is a good gag. This second game is ridiculously convoluted. They're explaining it and I still don't understand it. No, I didn't. They, they have to do what? And the how and the how and I. Oh. All I managed to write down about what the game involved was 1854. They have to know about the Charge of the Light Brigade... I think they have reference material at least, so they don't have to pull the knowledge from their heads. Thank goodness, because like it's a little bit of an obscure thing to guess that people will know about. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, sure, everybody knows about the Charge of the Light Brigade. <laughs> no. No, they don't. Robert is almost gratingly assertive, I've written. Also, I wanted to know, he picks up the can with the propelling joke worm in it and he knows that's going to happen and how? These are deluxe mixed nuts. Yes. Ah, that was predictable. He did say it was obvious, but he still flinched. He did. Most of my molars have worn away now with the with the whole teeth gritting thing that went on for most of this episode. It's but it's lucky he's an electrical genius anyway, because I'll give him this, he's the competent one. He's sort of having to contend with two slightly dippy actors. A little. Why am I surrounded by morons, he's thinking. These people are idiots. <laughs> yeah, he probably was thinking that a little bit. Fools! <laughs> when they had to make the pendulum with the yardstick, he was trying to explain to Paul Darrow what a metre was. And Paul Darrow goes, a metre is three to three. It's longer than a yard, you see. <laughs> I was like, ah, he's back. He's back. There he is. <laughs> because the, just the way his eyes glinted... When he said it, like, I really am better than you, and I am just reminding you that I am better. He still thought it was a yardstick, and it wasn't. It was actually a metre rule, so (laughs) unfortunately Robert was right on that occasion. Oh, we've got a ruler. We've got a ruler which measures one yard. Or? Or? One metre. No. A metre measures three foot three. It's longer than a yard, you see. Ah. I learned that. That's very good. No, but this is a metre. Ah, it is a metre because it goes further yeah, on the other that's side. that's right. So that's three, all right then. Right. Anyway, there's nothing else in here. No, there is. There's an extra weight. <laughs> I know, but I'm glad he said it anyway. Yes. <laughs> Allow me to put you in your very wrong place. <laughs> I like that they wear Galactic Archaeological Society sweatshirts in this first series. And I always love those unexplored possibilities. They really fire the imagination up. You get it a lot in Star Wars, like that bounty hunter we ran into on Ord Mandel. But you never see Ord Mandel and you never see that adventure with them running into the bounty hunter. But it, it, it's just a bit of lovely background texture and it just gives your imagination that little thing to bubble over with and of course years later people would write extended fiction which fills in all those details and people grab onto it with glee and go right we'll write a trilogy of novels about 
Ord Mandel and the bounty hunter that they encountered. And But I think that really robs it of some of that mystery. It's much better when it's just a thing in your imagination to think about. Uh, you get a lot in The Hobbit as well. You hear mention of places that they never go to or people that they never meet and alternate adventures that they could be having if only they made a different decision at a crossroads or at a T-junction or that kind of thing. And this reminds me a bit of that. So... We see their adventure on the planet Arg as they get waylaid by having their essential crystals nicked by the Argons. But they're clearly on their way to do some galactic archaeology, so there's a whole other thing after this adventure, or potentially not if they don't make it, but this thing they were intending to do, were they intending to do it on the planet Arg? Were they on their way somewhere else and they got kidnapped by the Argons or pulled in by a tractor beam or that kind of thing so there's a whole surrounding story where there's just little bits of detail most of it's negative space negative space for your imagination to play with and just little pinpricks of detail and I love that the quality of the of this particular episode was uh, a little on the dodgy side. It's an off air, so so they wiped some of the episodes. They have some of them still existing, but they had to rely on viewers who'd videoed them. So this is one from a viewer. Yes, I can tell. I can't believe they deleted that one though. I mean, of I all know. of them, why why would you delete the Paul Darrow episode? Why wouldn't you delete the Noel Edmonds episode? What you've got to do is pull both ropes together at exactly the same time, and if you do that, I'll give you a present, and you can have your friend back. Robert, use anything around to help you. Bye. Thanks. I got caught by a dragon. That was well, real smart. I was bringing smart. the magnet and the ping pong ball back to you. Look, look, look on the red box. Yeah, I can see. You were, you were going to bring I was going to... Yeah, well, I couldn't pull the things. I couldn't work out how to do it. My arms aren't long enough. And that, that red block, you can move that around. OK. I tried what's, moving that what's around. What's the stamp for? Do you I know? don't know. The fact that he just is very good at a lot of these games instantly. Actually, I did start to warm to him a bit and find it quite endearing. He's a bit like a very earnest schoolboy in a way that just knows lots of stuff. Yes. And he's like, right, I'm just going to get on with it. Yes. The bit where they have to pull the two chords simultaneously. Oh, yeah. To, to free Leslie. Yes, so she she attempts it at first. She's completely baffled. And I was completely baffled. Yes. But he goes in, he knows instantly. Uh, he yes. He doesn't even have to think he, about it. He knows instantly going to do he this. He just knows. He just knows what to do. He's more tolerable on his own when he's not bossing yes. other people around. No, what I'm going to do is see if I can get this swinging so I can hold on to one, stand on the block and then catch it. He gets quite into it. My note on this scene is Leslie Judd is now in another room. She has no idea what she's doing either. I feel reassured by this. (laughs) Yes. And she ends up in prison, which is foreshadowing the next series. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Hello, Freddy foreshadowing. (laughs) Good old Rob. He manages to free her because he knows what to do. It involves a magnet and string swinging. And I'm not even making this up. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and then he had to stand on a box. It sounds stupid. As I'm explaining what I saw, It's it, it sounds like nonsense. And that is how it felt. <laughs> it reaches ahead when they have to construct an electromagnet out of nutcrackers. <laughs> I mean, just don't. Just don't. Why on earth? Why on earth? And Robert knows exactly what to do instantly. Be making a quiz show for normal human beings. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Do you know what would be really fun if we had to get them to make an electromagnet? <laughs> I don't even really know what an electromagnet is. 
I'm just putting it straight out there. I haven't really got a clue. I mean, it's a magnet you can switch on and off. Although if I had a nutcracker, it would probably be a little easier. Yes. That is all I know. (laughs) The Argons refer to Leslie Judd as they, and I think they always just use the pronoun they, which is quite interesting. I may be wrong on that, but that's a... Just seeing that bit was an impression I got that they don't really comprehend the gender of the humans. They just refer to everyone as they. I may be wrong. I didn't notice that, but I did notice that they do think that sir and madam can be used interchangeably for any gender. Yeah, that would back up what I said then. Which, if true, is a nice subtle touch. I think so. World building for this alien society. A bit of uh, feedback on the programme from the time it was shown i remember my dad saying about it that he felt it didn't work still to this day i find this comment quite mystifying as to what exactly he meant he felt it didn't work because there was no investment in seeing real people getting vaporized that actually it should be people like captain kirk and then we'd find it more exciting i still all these years later remember that captain kirk was the example he gave I don't know what he meant. I think your dad just wanted to see Captain Cook be vaporised. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? Exactly. <laughs> they find a newspaper at one point and they confirm that it's today's newspaper. So this was filmed on Tuesday, May the 20th, 1980, we know. Yes. Which yes. I really like. I like that it's grounded to a specific day. Yeah, I, I think there's something really evocative and I can't really put my finger on what it is about knowing the exact date on which a TV thing was filmed. And I, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it was on this exact date. And that, that date means nothing to me specifically. I have no idea what I was doing on Tuesday, May the 20th, 1980. I wasn't even alive. You weren't doing anything. I was not doing anything at all. I wasn't even a twinkle. Actually, I do know what I was doing. I would probably have been at school. It was a Tuesday. It was in May. Well, yeah, that's true. But a little bit of uh, local colour. The day this was filmed was one day before Empire Strikes Back came out. (gasps) It was two days before Pac-Man was released. And it was three days before The Shining came out. My goodness. So that's quite a week. It was all happening that week, wasn't it? It's like cultural cornerstones go. That was all happening. Blimey, it was a busy old week. So they do all the things and they have to come back the way they go. They have to go back the way they came. No, they have to come back the way they originally came. What are words? What did they have to do? They And there's some stuff and things happened. They have to walk across the little mosaic thingy again. They have to go back across the mosaic, but it's live now and they'll get vaporised if they stand on the wrong square. Yes. So having watched... These three chumps spend 45 minutes working out all these puzzles. What do they do? What do they go and do? They get evaporated. All at the same time. There's not even any one by one. They don't even get knocked off one by one. It's all at the same time. All at the same time. In fact, because I I was sort of like typing out a commentary. Yeah. Um... I put, they're all doing so well. It's just a straight journey to the crystal. They're doing it. Oh, my God. Wait, they did. They, they got all evaporated. Oh, my God. Wow, that's so harsh. <laughs> I felt quite bereft, actually. Yeah. Do you know why they got vaporised? Um, Because, n- no. No. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of the other downsides of this variation of the game, is that they could get vaporised and you could be just left not sure why and what actually they'd done wrong yeah no i i just presumed that they'd gone the wrong way but so it was a moment of spurious catharsis very brief yes. it's like yes vaporization oh it was all of them they've gone that was it oh oh 
Well, Can't that was I that then. They all got vaporized. Mm. Yeah, this is the trouble. If anyone's standing on the board when one of them stands in the wrong square, then they all go. Them's the rules. Wow. So it's a, a brutal harsh, world. It? Oof, I tell you what, didn't pull any punches, did it? Feeling a bit depressed now. <laughs> I know, but I it's a... okay because uh, Moira Stewart comes along as soon as they've all been evaporated and she gives some fantastic advice. She says, when you're adventuring, keep your eye on your crystal. How I laughed. <laughs> oh my God, did I giggle at that. <laughs> that is that is perfect advice. Thank you. I will. <clears throat> it's uh, it's almost as good as my mother's advice. When you're adventuring, keep your hand on your halfpenny. <laughs> it's ex- exactly the same. Exactly the same kind of connotations, I think. Probably in your world, anyway. <laughs> your smutty, smutty world. Hey, it's the world I live in, and I love it. <laughs> I hear Moira's line, I think, oh, yeah, crystals. And you go, she said crystals. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I just haven't. I, don't, I really haven't matured past being twelve. I don't you haven't think. Really, you are just a walking viz comic, aren't you? I really am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was that was the first episode, and so I was reeling. I was reeling. Your head was spinning. It was, literally. Just from seeing Avon smouldering in beard, really. (sighs) Yeah, that was that was a moment. Well, it turned out we natted on for rather a long time with this podcast, so we've decided, rather than inflict another lengthy one onto you, to divide it into two. So we'll be coming back in our next podcast to talk about an episode from Season 2 of The Adventure Game. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed this, and I also hope you will join us again next time for Part 2. Maybe by next summer We won't have changed our tune We'll still want to be With the butterflies and